I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. The Fox Sports Sunday train keeps rolling on. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios on this cerulean blue sky Sunday afternoon in my best Vin Scully voice. It will take you up to 8 p.m. tonight as we've got a cornucopia of sports topics to tackle. We've only got three hours, so... Let's get busy. But before we get started, let's not forget that I'm backed up tonight by my all-star team of technical producer Rob Guerra, Bubble on the ones and twos, and Kevin Figures on the updates. Together, we'll take you on a fun ride for the whole family. So stick with us. We're here until 8 p.m. You know, the NFL preseason is now in full bloom. We're 18 days away from actual NFL games And the one topic, the one theme, the one subject that has been the absolute, uh, you know, dominating the sports waves, uh, airwaves, has been the rookie quarterback class, this current class of the rookies that I've all now descended upon camp and have seen some action. And it's all about the scrutiny. It's all about the analysis. It's all about the predictions. And I would just say this, that when it comes down to assessing each one of these individuals, there are personal feelings and there are objective truths. And that's where we begin. And so if we go by team, the theme tonight, as I take a look at these quarterbacks and give you my thoughts from the perspective of someone who covered the Detroit Lions for 10 years, I'm going to theme it if I'm being honest. Here's what I mean by that. Let me start with the 49ers. Now, Jimmy G should be 
and will be your starter week one for Kyle Shanahan. He's 24-8 and eight as a starter, and at least for right now, if he's healthy, he gives the 49ers the best chance to win. But if I'm being honest, the minute he gets hurt or falters or if the team isn't winning, Trey Lance, well, he'll be in there faster than you can say Ghirardelli chocolate. Now, Trey Lance is the future, and he offers that dynamic athleticism, that mobility that Kyle Shanahan is drooling over. And when he's ready, he can pick up where Jimmy G leaves off. But if I'm being honest, Trey Lance currently is the furthest away from being NFL-ready of all the rookie hotshot quarterbacks drafted in April. Yeah, I know. I saw the 49-yard strike last week to Trent Sherfield as uh, Sherfield ran that deep curl route, and it resulted in an 80-yard TD pass. Well, it looked sort of sexy on film. But on many of his other passes, he was off target. He was not in rhythm. He looked uncomfortable to me. Frankly, for now, he looks like a guy who has all the physical talent in the world, but one who hasn't played the game in two years and one who didn't exactly line up against the best competition in college. And as such, I believe his learning curve for processing pre-snap reads, making progressions, and not holding the ball too long is going to be steep. For real, last week, Lance held the ball way too long. Trust me, he's a long ways away. We'll see what he does tonight. But he can get there. I'm just not sure when, but it's not going to be week one. No matter what Trey Lance does in the preseason, if you overreact to the preseason, which a lot of people do, you'll do it at your own peril. Because when the regular season starts and the real bullets fly, Lance will see defensive looks and personnel groupings and trickery he's never seen. Opposing teams will rotate pass rushers. They'll drop eight, rush three. They'll show blitzes. They'll shift. Defensive coordinators are smart. Lance is going to have to show that he can adapt. Quarterback is a position you play with your eyes. I get it. There are some of you folks out there that say, I just don't see the light. And for me to talk this way, I must be going to hell on a scholarship. You'll see. You don't learn this game overnight. They've been playing it a long time. The Patriots. All right. Cam Newton Thursday night, frankly, he looked terrific to me. I love the way he manipulated the pocket. Uh, He stepped up into the pocket. He stepped into his throws. He made his read progressions. He was accurate with velocity. He looked comfortable. He looked confident. He should. He's a former MVP. Now, I fully expect Cam to be under center week one. But if I'm being honest, I have the feeling the leash might be short when the season starts. Now, see, Cam and his foundation, he's a power player. And New England is a power offense. Cam hasn't taken off to run yet, and he won't until the regular season. But he's not a spring chicken anymore, and he's going to get hit. He's going to put himself in harm's way, and it's hard for me to picture Cam being around in the second half of the season as a starter, but I'm keeping an open mind. In the meantime, Mac Jones is doing exactly what I knew he could do. Jones, in fact, in my opinion, is by far the most... NFL ready of the bunch. He followed up a strong debut week one last week with three touchdown drives of 70 yards or longer against the Eagles Thursday night. Jones also led a 17-play, 91-yard drive in the second quarter and added scoring drives of 75 and 70 yards in the third quarter. The only drive in which Jones was behind center that didn't produce points 
He threw a deep strike to receiver Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State. Now that ball traveled 56 yards in the air. Beautiful feathery touch right on the money. And Akil Harry proved while he's earned the label bust by not making the catch. Now, Mac Jones, to me, looks very competent. He looks very capable. But it's even more than that. From what I'm hearing, the coaching staff, they've challenged him. They uh, keep throwing things at him, and he can handle it. He keeps answering the bell. His mechanics are good. He delivers the ball in a compact, effortless motion. He has zero issues about his ability to read and react to defensive coverages. He doesn't force throws under duress. And his ability to maneuver the pocket while keeping his eyes downfield are very advanced for someone this age. Now, for what it's worth, I I want to dispel the notion. Mac Jones is not slow, even though some low-information folks think he is. In fact, what if I told you Mac Jones ran the 40-yard dash faster than Patrick Mahomes at the Combine? True story. The best thing about Jones, he's an anticipatory thrower, and his accuracy is excellent on all levels, short, intermediate, yes, deep as well. You saw that throw to Keel Harry. So if I'm being honest, if Cam falters, Mac, who is Cam's spell backwards, he'll be right there. Now let's go on to the New York Jets. Well, in his preseason debut, I thought Zach Wilson looked pretty solid. Now he's done it two games in a row. In both games... And certainly yesterday against Green Bay, he was efficient. He has a very quick release. He gets the ball out of his hand quickly. He works in rhythm, and he was very accurate. He has the ability to work off schedule. I love how he can change arm slots and his throws. He's more athletic than you think, and he can extend plays with his legs. Zach Wilson showed versus the Giants and the Green Bay Packers he could fit the ball into tight windows and throw receivers open on all three levels. But if I'm being honest, Wilson is in the toughest spot of any of his compatriots. The Jets are rebuilding, and their schedule is brutal. They play eight playoff teams, and three of their first five are on the road. Zach Wilson will have to prove he can survive. And remember, this is New York, not Provo, Utah. All right, let's talk about the Chicago Bears. Now, I think Justin Fields has looked pretty good in both of his games because he checks a lot of boxes. He's a dynamic athlete. He's a leader, a competitor. For my money, he looks to me to have maybe the best, what I call, huddle presence of anybody in this group, and he's tougher than a $3 steak. I don't like the way he continually stares down his hot read. His arm is good, but his legs might be better. He's a winner. But if I'm being honest, he's not ready to start week one at the L.A. Rams, nor should he, and he won't. My understanding is Matt Nagy said that Andy Dalton will be the starter. Now, Fields still has to learn to operate better from the pocket. He loves to roll right. That seems to be his default mechanism. And in fact, in this first game, his two best passes were rolling to his right and throwing across his body. He's got to correct that. In addition... His default mechanism is still to take off and run, just as he did at Ohio State. And that's not his fault. See, the Buckeyes' offensive philosophy is designed to make their opponents defend all 11 athletes. So he was doing what he was taught, doing what he was told, doing what he's used to. But the NFL is different. You've got to play the position with your eyes more than your feet. Now, early on yesterday, they made it easy for him. 
I saw a lot of max protect formations, two receiver sets, three-step drops. It got him comfortable, got him in rhythm a little bit. But like a lot of young quarterbacks, Justin Fields has to prove he can make his read progressions against NFL defenses. And why is there such a mad rush to get this guy in the field? Stop. And, and while I'm at it, stop throwing shade at Andy Dalton. Since 2011, Andy Dalton is just one of six quarterbacks to accomplish the following. 30,000 passing yards, 200 passing TDs, 70 victories as a starter. The only other quarterbacks to do that, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger, and yeah, some guy named Tom Brady. I know, I'm not mixed up. Dalton's in the, the end of his career. He's not the type of guy to take over a game, but he's not chopped liver either. And frankly, when Fields... Gets on the gets in a game against the number one defense. I just don't want him running around so much. Matter of fact, I don't know if I want any of my quarterbacks running around so much unless his name is Cam Newton. Well, I guess Kyler Murray and and Lamar Jackson, but I digress. So let's take a minute, just a minute, to pump the brakes on Justin Fields. He is the future, but the future doesn't have to be right this second. And oh, oh by the way. If you've, if you've watched that Bears team, they don't have any weapons. I mean, they don't have any weapons. So I don't think it's going to matter who starts a quarterback. That offense couldn't score with a fistful of 50s in a women's prison. So I think it could be a long year for the Bears in some, unless some miracle happens. Now, I didn't forget. I didn't forget about Trevor Lawrence. Seven of the last nine quarterbacks who were drafted number one overall started week one. So I would be shocked if Urban Meyer doesn't march Trevor Lawrence out there week one. There really are no expectations in Jacksonville this year. He's got to get his reps. And I would just say this really takes about 28 to 30 starts for a young quarterback to blossom and to over the, the franchise, the franchise quarterback you want him to be. So there's no sense in delaying that process, especially since both Urban Meyer and uh, Trevor Lawrence can navigate the jump from college football to the NFL together. I remember when Jimmy Johnson was hired by the Cowboys in 89, Buddy Ryan said, he's going to find out pretty quickly there are no East Carolinas on the schedule in this league. All in all, I think it's a potentially dynamic you know, rookie class. You see the star power in all of them in each of their own ways and their own individualities. But don't expect overnight successes. And if history, if past is prologue, they're not all going to make it. I hope I'm wrong. Maybe this could be like the class of 83, where most of them made it, and three of them are Hall of Famers. Let's wait and see. It's going to be fun to watch. Coming up, one quarterback who probably won't see the field this year. Why? Because he's facing what I call a legal trifecta. Has to... They have to come to some sort of resolution on this before I think he can take snaps for any NFL team. We'll discuss next with Dan Lust. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. 
And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I actually don't mind calling this a super effective because you had the uh, restraining order in there as well, which is kind of like quasi-civil crime. <laughs> and, I, I and, don't, and the grand jury. <laughs> yeah, so we got a lot of... Um, you know, we, we had this kind of weird report around the case. So when you first hear that report, I think everyone's initial reaction is, okay, the FBI might be gearing up here for a federal charge because people remember the allegations. Obviously, there's 20-plus massage therapists or, or people that are performing those services. Uh, you know, and again, the allegations of that massage kind of went awry on, on 20 different occasions. Some of the women, not all of them, the vast majority were within the same state as Deshaun Watson, but some were coming from out of state to perform those services. So, you know, the FBI, if you if you perform a crime over state lines, it's called an interstate crime. The FBI tends to get involved because that's not the jurisdiction of one particular state. It's two states. So the FBI tends to get involved in those procedures just to kind of make it a, a cleaner investigation. So um, that's everyone's first inclination. And then we hear. Uh, you know, from Tony Busby, the accuser, you know, the attorney for these 20 plus accusers, he says that. So we said, OK, fine. So uh, Rusty Harden, uh, Deshaun Watson's attorney, calls a press conference. We think he's going to talk about that. And then what we hear from Rusty Harden is that the FBI not only has one file open on Deshaun Watson, they have a second file open on him. But in this other file, Deshaun Watson is actually the victim of what they are, I guess, we're investigating as an alleged extortion attempt by one of these accusers. So, yeah, F FPI has, uh, I guess, a question to Sean Watson in his role as a potential victim. If one of these accusers, potentially one of Tony Busby's clients, is extorting to Sean Watson, which kind of adds a whole other level to this. It certainly does. And I'm, I'm glad you broke that down and made that distinction. Because if the FBI is looking at this in two ways, of course, right, what you just mentioned in terms of one of the plaintiffs could be subject to extortion. However, what's the burden of proof on that? How must they find evidence that would cause uh, charges coming forth on, on something like that that would seem to be a lot of a he said, she said? Yeah, I mean, let's see. I, I find it a little odd that, I mean, I, I read the report, uh, you know, this is coming from Rusty Harden. I don't think we, we're going to hear anything from the FBI. They're going to be very hush-hush. But I find it odd that it's just one 
accuser that's being, uh, you know, tied to a potential extortion plot, especially when the attorney, uh, you know, Tony Busby is representing all of the victims. I'm not sure how one is being separated for a potential extortion plot. So, I mean, anytime you have a crime in any, any you know, any context with some exceptions, it's going to be beyond a reasonable doubt. But and he said, she said type deal. Right. You're going to have to have some type of evidence, some type of email, some type of text messages. So maybe that's what it is, right? Maybe that's that's what what gets you there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we'll 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 see. I think it's a it's a little trickier, but yeah, I, I you know, if people are kind of wondering again, and I had the same question: How is one person separate aside from the other twenty? You know, again, just put your investigative hat on. That might mean that they have some dirt on one of the accusers that that they, they don't have on anybody else. So it's very possible there's some type of text some type of email that, uh, you know, is traced back for that individual. Talking with Dan Lust, sports attorney, host of the podcast Conduct Detrimental. You hear him on these airwaves often. This is a weird situation, Dan. Typically, when the FBI is doing an investigation, you don't even know about it, much less hear an attorney comment on it. Having said that, I understand in the city of Houston, a grand jury has also been impaneled to take a look at whether or not some of these accusations criminally could be bound over for charges. What do you know about that development? Yeah, so this has been a pretty big week on the Deshaun Watson front. Uh, there are subpoenas that have gone out. Again, uh, you want to believe the reports. I don't, I don't have any reason to think they're false. The attorneys have confirmed grand jury subpoenas have gone out. So there's an expression that lawyers have that even a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich. Now, what does that mean? It means that it – right? They're one of the great old lines, yeah. It's, it's, it's important here because a grand jury, they, there's no kind of evidentiary proceeding. The prosecutor can bring in whatever evidence they want. There's no opportunity for cross-examination. So they paint a very one-sided picture of the case, and everything comes in. So every bad fact against Deshaun Watson is going to come in. It's not going to be a he said, she said. It's going to be a she said type deal. So if a grand jury thinks there's enough uh, you know, sufficient evidence to... You know, have some type of uh, you know criminal proceeding here. It's going to go forward. We had a uh, you know I spoke to a DA recently. You know, and it's a ham sandwich type deal. You know, it's not 100 percent, but maybe it's closer to like 85, 90 percent. And the subpoenas already have gone out for that grand jury. So to the extent it convenes, you know, if you're a betting man, right, uh, mi- minus 450, minus 500, that uh, you know Watson's going to get hit with criminal charges sooner rather than later. Interesting, Dan, and I've always gotten a kick out of the ham sandwich line because I believe that the local prosecutors and district attorneys want to maintain their pristine 97% conviction rate. So having said that, the longer that this goes on in the local investigation, do you think that bodes well for Deshaun Watson or not so good for Deshaun Watson? Uh, You know, I find it odd. I think the timing, I think odd's the right term, like, you know, we go over across the sports landscape, and I imagine everyone listening to this is kind of familiar with what's going on with Trevor Bauer. Right? Trevor Bauer has been taken off of the field. And baseball is still in the middle of investigation. I think the DA over in, in Pasadena is still in the middle of their investigation. But Rob Manfred took you know, Trevor Bauer off the field. There's a game tomorrow. Trevor Bauer is not allowed to play. Meanwhile, for Deshaun Watson, right, there's a game tomorrow. Deshaun Watson's playing. He has not been placed in the commission's exemplist, which is a form of paid leave. Baseball has put Trevor Bauer on their form of it. So, you know, this investigation keeps going. Roger Goodell tomorrow can put good, you know, can put Watson on the, you know, exemplist, take him off the field, but he has not. So, you know, my my two cents is that the longer this investigation goes, the more kind of questions are being raised. I, I mean, I, the, you know, accusers here put their cards on the table a long time ago. I don't know what the necessarily delay is. I don't know why it's been a couple months. Um, but to your point, right, maybe why a DA is using the grand jury instead of just announcing charges on their own. 
This is a guy whose charges are being brought, you know, in Houston. It's a hometown quarterback. So maybe the DA doesn't want to say, hey, you know, the, the blood's on my hands. You know what? Actually, a grand jury made that determination. So, you know, I don't necessarily think the investigation means that much to the criminal level. I do think it means for the, you know, the NFL level, because what is Goodell waiting for? Maybe he's waiting for criminal charges to take that decision out of his hands, right? Same type of deal. Hey, I had to suspend him. The DA announced criminal charges. Um, you know, but short of that, I don't really know what Roger Goodell's waiting for. I, I think once Nike and Beats by Dre and all those guys dropped uh, Watson as a sponsor, I assume the NFL would quickly follow. But, you know, they're, they're holding out here. They're waiting for something. I'm going to talk about that later in the show. It's my understanding that Roger Goodell is most likely waiting for the legal system to speak. And the reason he hasn't imposed or he hasn't put Watson on the exempt list yet, they haven't even talked to him yet. They haven't even talked to Deshaun Watson yet or interviewed him. And before they would ever put him on the exempt list, they would do that. And you'd want to see some sort of criminal finding, I believe, or, or charges. But being that as it may, what I'd like you to do, uh, Dan, final question. Uh, as you know, because you practice law, this isn't TV where the whole thing's done in 48 minutes. Uh, the wheels of justice grind very slowly. Uh, what would you put as a time frame to when this is completely adjudicated? I cannot see it happening in 2021. I think this stretches well into 2022. What are your thoughts? So I'll, I'll tell you, it is not possible to be done in 2021. Right now we have 20-plus civil cases, and you know, for, for whatever reason, Tony Busby agreed to not have Deshaun Watson deposed, have his deposition until after the Super Bowl in 2022. So there's a long period of discovery. There's a period of discovery that occurs after depositions. It might take a more, more, several more months. So maybe you're looking at June for the earliest for this to be completed. But then, Bernie, you're just talking about logistics. Trial is not going to be tried jointly. You have to try trials on 20 separate occasions, however many accusers there are. Trial can take one to two weeks. So let's say you finish discovery in June of 2022. I don't do basic math here, right? 20 accusers, two weeks your accuser. That's almost another year on top of it. And then, Bernie, here's the crazy part. If criminal charges are actually filed here, that will stop the entire civil justice time frame. And you add another year, just like we saw in the OJ capacity. You have a criminal trial, that wraps, and then you have the civil. And, uh, you know, criminal by itself can be another year by itself. So short of some type of settlement, short of some type of plea deal, legitimately, I'd put the over-under at about two and a half years in this. This is, this is not something that goes away quickly. I think you're accurate, Dan. Appreciate your insights tonight so much. Dan, thanks for coming on. This is obviously a fluid situation. There seem to be new developments every several weeks. Have to get you on again. Thanks for your time tonight. My pleasure. Have a good night. Thank you. That is Dan Lust. He's a sports attorney, host of the podcast Conduct Detrimental. The Los Angeles, what? I can't believe I just said that. The Las Vegas Raiders made a landmark decision this last week, the first of any team to do so in the NFL. We'll talk about it next, but first... Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, three-time Pro Bowler LeVar Arrington, and I couldn't be more excited to announce a new podcast called Up On Game. What is Up On Game, you ask? Along with my fellow Pro Bowler, TJ Hushmanzada, and Super Bowl champion, yep, that's right, Plexico Burris. You can only name a show with that type of talent on it. Up On Game. We're going to be sharing our real-life experiences loaded with teachable moments. Listen to Up On Game with me, LeVar 
Lamar Arrington, TJ Hushmanzada, and Plexico Burris on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Let's go to the man, Kevin Figures, for the update. Burning, considering they're uh, following in Southern California, they might as well be the Los Angeles Raiders. That's it, true. It, it still works. It's like a home game last night, <laughs> Kevin. Might, might as well have been down there at SoFi. Speaking of SoFi, there's a game out there right now. The score is 2-0 between L.A. and San Francisco. The Dodgers are not playing the Giants. The uh, 49ers sack Chargers quarterback Easton Stick in the end zone for a safety. Jimmy Garoppolo did get the start for San Francisco. He was intercepted by Asante Samuel Jr. in his only offensive series. Trey Lance came in in relief. He was just intercepted in his second offensive series. He is one for four for nine yards so far through the air. This game early in the second quarter. Earlier today, Cleveland defeated the Giants 17-13. to Titans head coach Mike Vrabel, who is vaccinated, tested positive for COVID-19 after feeling mild symptoms yesterday. Colts quarterback Carson Wentz and lineman Quentin Nelson, both likely to return to practice this week after recovering from his foot surgeries. On the Diamond, Cleveland, a 2-0 lead over the Angels in the fourth inning in the Sunday night game. The Mets avoided a sweep by defeating the Dodgers 7-2 two Giants with a late home run beating the A's two to one Reese Hoskins a couple of home runs for Philadelphia in a win over San Diego Padres have now lost five of their last six they trail the Reds for the final spot in the wild card race after Cincinnati defeated Miami earlier Rays shut out the White Sox Brewers hammered Washington Yankees twins Red Sox Rangers both postponed due to the hurricane in the Northeast a couple of Little League World Series games also rescheduled and in golf the final round of the Northern Trust Open was postponed to tomorrow back to Bernie Fratto Thanks so much, Kevin. Your update on Mike Vrabel is interesting because it's a nice segue into what took place here in Las Vegas last week. Following the mandate of Governor Steve Sisolak and in conjunction with his policies, the Las Vegas Raiders have now become the first team in the National Football League to implement a vaccine policy for fans during games, home games at Allegiant Stadium. I'm calling it vaccine or bust. The bottom line is... The Raiders are going to require all attendees to show proof of vaccination. Now, there's a free mobile app called Clear, and the way the process works, it's my understanding you upload your uh, ID, your uh, government-issued ID, driver's license, what have you, along with your vaccination card, and it's lodged and captured, and it appears on the app so that when you enter the stadium, you merely show your proof. And the vaccination requirement now This will allow fans to enjoy Raiders games without wearing a mask. Unless you're partially vaccinated. You can attend, but you'll have to wear a mask. Or let's say you decide to show up on game day. You haven't been vaccinated yet. There is going to be a pop-up vaccination clinic at every Raiders home game. And fans can get their shot and then go to the game. But then you still have to wear a mask. You following this? Now, one of the things owner Mark Davis did will say that his team would offer full refunds to season ticket holders who choose not to get vaccinated or rollovers to next season. He's admitted he's very concerned about losing fans over the vaccination requirement, but he described the situation as something bigger than any single person. What remains to be seen is the aftermarket ticket agencies where so many Raider fans get their tickets before a game, coming into town, travel junkets and such, will they be refunding? I don't know. Now, as far as the NFL, their official statement is each team can form their own policy on vaccines. And again, the Raiders are saying their vaccination rule is in follow-up to their governor, our governor, Steve Sisolak, and his latest policies 
that pertain to holding large indoor events. I guess this was born of the fact that you could go to events full capacity, but you had to wear a mask, and they were having issues uh, enforcing the mask rule, the mask mandate. You know, someone goes to a concession stand, they get a beer, they get a hot dog, they go back to their seat, they eat, they're supposed to put their mask back on, but they don't, they forget, or they don't want to. Figure it out. Whatever, it, you know, whatever the scenario is, it just simply wasn't working. But for now, the NFL says it's not considering a league-wide policy on vaccination, which they're going to allow teams in their local modalities with local officials and local health experts in each you know, city that the NFL is in to follow these guidelines along with whatever federal guidelines are. So I think this is a, 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 my guess is the Raiders aren't going to be the first team to do this. Um, and, and I heard just last night, I haven't looked into this yet, that both Oregon and Oregon State will be the first college teams to require this. Now, that's interesting because they don't have dome stadiums up there. And in the National Football League, there's only a handful of dome stadiums that come to mind. Ford Field, Detroit, uh, the Superdome, and uh, Louisiana, et cetera, et cetera. Let me bring the crew in here. I'd like to get your guys' thoughts because if the Raiders have done this, do the dominoes start to fall? And let's not just talk about the NFL. How about the NBA? How about the NHL? Those seasons are actually right around the corner again, and they play in smaller, confined indoor facilities. Kevin Figures, what are your thoughts on this? Is this a good idea, or is this going to backfire? Uh, it could potentially backfire on them. I understand why they're doing it, but to your point, when you talk about traveling junkets, the amount of seats that are sold to fans who are not season seat holders of the Raiders and how that's going to affect them being able to come to the stadium. Uh, it, it's definitely questionable. So I, I can understand it, but if I'm to take a demonstrative stand on it, I would say I'd probably figure in favor of it uh, just for the health and safety of everybody that does decide to go to the game. Uh, and, and so if you, if that maybe that can incentivize people to want to get vaccinated if they really want to see this palace of a, of a stadium and be able to make that trip to Las Vegas, maybe it will incentivize some people to actually get vaccinated. Uh, that's a good point. I think it will be an impetus behind some people who are on the fence. Rob G., what are your thoughts on this? Do you expect the other leagues to follow suit? Um, I think that there's enough people with money who are vaccinated where I don't think it's going to affect their bottom line as some as people might think it would, especially in Las Vegas where there's a lot of money coming in and out of town on a regular basis. Um, I don't think that's going to be an issue for them as far as sales. I do right. expect at least midway through the season, you'll see about half the NFL teams doing this. It's interesting. I think you might be right. I think you're going to see other cities follow suit and other sports follow suit. But to your point, to the folks who are giving up their tickets because they don't want to comply with this, I know there are people waiting in line to buy them in the secondary market. Uh, Bobo, do you have any thoughts on this? No, pretty much the same thing with Rob, man. I just I just feel like I don't think the whole league is going to do it, but I think you're going to see some cities bandwagon and jump on and as well as other sports uh it happened with other sports i mean it's already mask mandates everywhere nexus vax mandates and i just not getting too political i just i think it can happen and it's going to just cause a lot of a rift and things that shouldn't even matter right now it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds the key thing to note the raiders don't even play a next uh, a home game again until their opener on monday night football monday september 13th the baltimore raiders come to town ironically the ravens have a quarterback pretty good one the first quarterback in nfl history to rush for a thousand or more yards in consecutive seasons he's won 81 percent of his game since taking over in 2018 guy by the name of lamar jackson he has not gotten vaccinated yet. Wonder if they'll let him in the stadium. 
Guess we'll have to find out. Coming up, oh, that irrepressible, that level, lovable LeBron. He's at it again. He likes that Twitter machine, doesn't he? He had to react and respond, even though we didn't ask him his opinion. We'll talk about it next. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studio. Stick and stay. Keep it locked. Don't go away. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. We're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto. Coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. I want to remind you, Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover's accepted at 99% of the places in the U.S. to take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. Oh, that lovable LeBron reminds me when I was in third grade. I was making faces at my teacher, Mrs. Birch, because I didn't like her. Well, she caught me. I was busted. She looked right at me when I was making the face, and she said, Mr. Farrell, I was told when I was young by my parents that if I made faces when I grew up, my face would stick. I said, well, Mrs. Birch, you can't say you weren't warned. That didn't work out well for me. That's a story maybe for another day or maybe not. LeBron keeps making stank faces when he sees something he doesn't like, and it's starting to stick. He did it again the other day. In his response to this survey, among 10 scouts and executives who voted whether or not Giannis and or Kevin Durant would be the best player in the NBA right now. They, and, and for what it's worth, the voting was evenly split. Now, first of all, there's no stat, there's no metric, there's no standard of measure for anything LeBron has done in the last season that would warrant, warrant him being I would believe, characterized as the best player in the NBA right now. So once again, he got triggered. Look, the bottom line is everything has a context. Pay attention, LeBron. No one was questioning your legacy, your body of work, your ability to win championships with three different teams. This was not about a lifetime achievement award. It was about the here and now, right now, the present. He's a 37-year-old LeBron, the best player in the NBA. I say no, but does he have a point? And if he has a point, did he go about it the right way? Let's bring in the crew. Rob G., does LeBron have a point? Is he the best player in the league right now? And irrespective of what your answer is, how do you feel about the way he went about handling this? Uh, I do not think he's the best player in the world right now. I do believe, however, that he has a legitimate gripe. Um, Prior to him getting hurt and injuring his ankle, ESPN did their uh, semi-annual or quarterly MVP ballot where they actually you know poll MVP voters across the nation and he was winning in a landslide just before he got hurt and I don't know even still if he was the best player in the world but by those metrics by his own belief by what other players say about him a lot of people still think he is the best player in the league and I don't have an issue with him getting upset on social media only because there are a lot of guys who like to use slights as motivation, most famously Michael Jordan. And had MJ had Twitter back in the day, we may have seen him post things like that. It just didn't exist at that time. But he was very upfront in the media and in interviews that he would let you know if somebody said something that he felt was a slight towards him, that he took notice of it. So I don't think it's any different than what LeBron's doing. You know what's interesting, Rob, is Twitter exists now and Jordan is still with us. He has not passed on to the next lifetime yet. So you can very easily grab an account and come back at people who said, 
who would say LeBron is better than him or would question anything that Jordan is doing. I think he's above that. I, I've thought about this many times. I don't know whether Jordan would have wasted his time on Twitter. He always does his talking on the court. And to your point, I get it. LeBron is an MVP in his franchise because the Lakers are currently power rated number two or number three, and they're either number one or number two, depending where you shop in Vegas for your odds to win the championship next year. But if you take LeBron off the Lakers, they're going to fall to number eight or number nine. It'll be power rated probably 15th or 16th. So you, I agree with you. He has a point. I'm just getting tired of his diatribes every time something happens that he doesn't like. Bobo, do you have thoughts on this? My thing is LeBron didn't ask anybody to make that list. So now people are going to get upset at him for responding to a list that has him in it. I don't, I don't get it. Like, my man, you guys are talking about him. So he has every right to respond to what you guys are saying. And as LeBron James, we all know he feels like he is the greatest in the league and the greatest ever, regardless of what he says about Kobe and MJ, the way that he plays and his mannerisms say otherwise. You say something about a man, a man is going to have something back to say, regardless of the fact. And same thing that Rob G said, uh, as far as Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan always took gripes with stuff like that, but... Twitter wasn't around back then, and I think Michael Jordan now is an older man, so him jumping on Twitter to now go back and say, hey, y'all remember when y'all said this about me, about the flu game? It's, it's just not him. It's it's never been who he was. He Like you said just a second ago, all this trash talking was done on court or in a face-to-face interview. Let me respond to that, Bobo, because it's my understanding nobody said anything about LeBron. It was a situation where these 10 executives and scouts listed Giannis and Kevin Durant and voted on them. LeBron's name was never brought up. He responded to the fact he was left out. Same thing happened two years ago when they had a similar vote, only this time it involved Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, and James Harden. And he was left out then, too. Now, then he responded by going and winning a championship in the bubble in 2020. So maybe I've missed something, but no one was saying anything about LeBron. And well, therein lied the issue because he was upset that he was omitted. Well, if you have a situation where you see a list and your name is not on there and you feel like, wait a minute, man, I'm the best in the league. And y'all not going to bring me up in this situation. It, that's pretty much calling LeBron James out. Like, if you have something where nobody in the NBA right now currently has LeBron James accolades as far as the MVPs, the finals MVPs, the amount of rings that he has, and you have this list of the greatest current players and you see that your name is not on it, like, wait a minute, how y'all going to just shade me like that? Right. Well, I think it's a semantical conversation because the vote was who's the best player right now. Uh let me ask the crew. Who, who's the best coach in the NFL? Anybody? Bobo? Right now? Coach? Belichick. Bingo. When's the last time Bill Belichick was coach of the year? Uh, 11 years ago. I was going to say 10. But he's won what? Five Super Bowls since then? So, look, I guess it's a situation where LeBron's got a body of work now. He responds to a lot of things. When he wasn't, con- you know, when he wasn't consulted for the messages on the jerseys and the bubble, I can list a whole litany of things. I don't want to. I don't want to pile on the man. It's just this one struck me wrong. I'm like, come on, dude, your legacy is secure. If you got to respond to everything when they didn't even bring your name up, that's as wrong as rain on your wedding day. Here's your thoughts. 
also say I would also say when it comes to the body of work argument, it's not as if LeBron James had some significant drop off last season from his production over the last three or four. Now it's not what he was doing, say, eight years ago or so. Uh, so I do think he still has a legitimate stake in being discussed as the best player in the league. I personally think that Kevin Durant is better than him and maybe surpassed him, especially with the way that he played this past season coming off of injury. But it's not as if the gap is extremely wide at this point. So knowing how, how LeBron James operates, how many athletes, by the way, I would say, especially in the NBA operate. Look, if Kevin Durant had not received any votes, do we believe that he would not have said something on social media knowing how active he is? I just think it's kind of the nature of the beast when it comes to that league and that sport and how those players view themselves. And LeBron James has been no stranger to that throughout his career. So would I rather he not do it? Yes. Am I particularly bothered by it? Not really. I just I just take it as that's how LeBron James is. And if he feels it's a way to motivate himself, then more power to him. And Bernie, real quick, I don't mean to cut you off, but in the article, one of the uh, uh, anonymous execs did say when he talked about why he has Giannis number one, he says, you can also argue Durant and LeBron between injury and age. That's why I go with Giannis. And then later on, it says the only other name mentioned without getting a vote was LeBron James. Fair enough. And I think Bobo brought up a good point that if you're going to have a vote like this, let's not confine it to two people. Maybe they should have included more, and therein lies the issue. I do know they came down to Kevin Durant because they thought his performance was heroic in, the, in, in getting in, during the playoffs and in the Olympics, and in Giannis won his first championship this year. So I think it was a victim of the moment, a vote for the present type of thing, not a lifetime achievement award. Coming up, let's go back to Deshaun Watson. I'm going to tell you why Roger Goodell has stood mute and hasn't done anything. I'm Bernie Fratto. Stay with us. This is Fox Sports Sunny and Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fox Sports Sunday rolls on. I'm Bernie Fratto. Come to your life, the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios will take you up to 8 p.m. Pacific tonight and 11 a.m. Eastern. Talking a lot of NFL, talking LeBron, talking preseason. About 40 minutes ago, we had on Dan Lust, an attorney uh, with his own podcast, and we went down the road of the Deshaun Watson saga. What we primarily talked about 
were the legalities and what he's facing, what I call the trifecta, because there are civil lawsuits, there are potential criminal charges, and even the feds are looking into this if you follow the reports. So where's Roger Goodell in all this? Let me give you some perspective. You know, years ago, the legendary Willie Nelson found himself in hot water with the IRS, and when the IRS began seizing property as part of Nelson's penance, there was one item that Willie Nelson fought to keep. See, Willie Nelson really loves golf, and he dearly wanted to keep the golf course he had owned for many years that was adjacent to his home in Texas. And by the way, for the record, Willie got his way. He got to keep the golf course. The IRS didn't seize it. His prized golf course remained his. Now, a reporter got a hold of this story, and Willie Nelson uh, consented to an interview, and the reporter wanted to know, what, why do you, what is the big deal? Why do you want this golf course so bad? And then Willie and the reporter kind of sat on the deck. They were overlooking the 18th hole. And Willie looked at him and says, you know the best thing about owning your own golf course? You get to decide par. He said, you see that 18th hole over there, that finishing hole? That hole is a par 14. And yesterday, I birdied it. Yeah, it's good to be the king, even if you can't golf. Well, see, when it comes to the NFL... Roger Goodell is like Willie Nelson's golf course. He gets to decide par. And over the many years, his actions have not only been decisive, sometimes swift, and sometimes draconian. And Roger Goodell has designs on making the NFL a $25 billion entity, and he's actually about halfway there, or a little more, and he'll be damned if he lets anybody damage the image of the shield. Which brings us to the Deshaun Watson dilemma. And make no mistake, it's a dilemma. Because it seems from the outside looking in, Goodell is not comfortable, at least for now, with any decision he makes. He just doesn't know. He wants the legal system to handle their business first before he makes a decision that would preclude Deshaun Watson from being on the field. Now, the NFL has been conducting their own investigation since April, but it's my understanding they haven't even interviewed Deshaun Watson yet. And until they at least interview him and talk to him, they're not going to put him on the commissioner's exempt list. By the way, you hear that tossed around a lot. I want to set the record straight on what the commissioner's exempt list is and how and when or why a player could potentially be placed on the commissioner's exempt list, which is really administrative leave, but you're paid while you are on administrative leave. There are a couple... There are a couple levels your actions much must rise to to end up on the commissioner's exempt list. Now, first of all, when a player is formally charged, Watson hasn't been charged with anything yet, formally charged with a felony offense, a crime of violence, meaning he's accused of using physical force or a weapon to injure or threaten a person or an animal or having engaged in a sexual assault by force, against a person who was incapable of giving consent or having engaged in other conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety or well-being of another person, well, at that point, formal charges in the form of an indictment, could be an indictment by a grand jury or a district attorney or prosecutor filing charges or an arraignment in a criminal court, which means you have been charged and that's where you would plead your guilt or innocence. Secondly... When an investigation leads the commissioner to believe 
that a player may have violated this policy by committing any of the conduct that I just mentioned, well, the commissioner can act where he believes the circumstances and evidence warrant doing so. I don't think Adele's to that point yet. How does he really know when the plaintiffs haven't been deposed? How does he really know when the district attorney or the grand jury have not come back with criminal charges? And how does he really know anything when this most recent situation with the FBI looking into whether or not even Deshaun Watson may have been the victim of this extortion? We talked about this with Dan Lust. Look, this isn't like when you watch Blue Bloods on Friday night. You tune in at 10 o'clock, and by 11 o'clock, it's all wrapped up nice in a bowl. These investigations can take months and years, and you got human beings' lives on trial that hang in the balance. You can't be kind of right. Look, the other situations involving you know Ray Rice and, and, uh, and, and Ezekiel Elliott and, and Michael Vick, they were far more cut and dried. They were, and in some cases, you even had video. This is so much more vastly, this is like throwing a pebble into a pond and watching the ripples go on forever. This won't go away. Now, there's another instance. When, when the violation is related to a crime of violence, it's alleged, but further investigation is required, well, the commissioner can still place a player on the commissioner exemplist. Now, you, do you see a pattern here? The term crime of violence is used three times in the body of the of this criteria do, do we know if if watson committed any violent acts how how do we know where and where's the evidence you are at least in a court of law maybe not the court of public opinion maybe not on the ninth page of the newspaper but you are in this country still innocent until you are proven guilty so there's not a doubt in my mind because this is so unique and so far-reaching and so complex, like nothing I've ever seen in all my years of covering sports, Goodell is going to stand mute because he does not want to make a mistake here. And at the same time, he also wants to make the right decision. He's allowing the legal system to do its job. And if they are taking this long to be inconclusive, then why should he jump in and involve himself in something when he probably has less facts than they do? Now, what's interesting is Deshaun Watson currently is in camp. He's obviously not playing in the preseason games. And one theory, if you're really interested in what could happen, don't be surprised. Here's one possibility that nothing happens this year in terms of Goodell making a decision or any criminal charges or any of these uh, civil lawsuits being settled. So it spills into 2022. So what happens to Deshaun Watson? He continues on with his life for a team that he doesn't want to play for, but he'll show up because he wants to get paid, and they'll just put him on the healthy scratch list every week. He'll be on the 53-man roster. He'll be on the healthy scratch list. This is the system. This is the way it works because there's a threshold for a situation like this, but it's not a may have violated the personal conduct policy. You've got to have evidence. You've got to have something that constitutes, constitutes by the NFL verbiage a major violation. All right. So you may think Rome Burns and Goodell standing around doing nothing. He's actually doing what I think the fair thing. Unless there's a specific criminal finding, an indictment or criminal charges, I expect this to continue on. It's my understanding the plaintiffs, the 22 plaintiffs, will not be deposed until September. And uh, and Deshaun Watson will not be deposed until next February. So this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Now, the story did take a bit of another turn because two of the plaintiffs 
and they've even given their names, Ashley Solis and Lauren Baxley. Well, it's my understanding, allegedly, they spoke to a reporter of Sports Illustrated named Jenny Vrentis, and one of the things they complained about was the treatment they received when they met with the two representatives of the NFL League office. Their names are Lisa Friel and Jennifer Gaffney. Their belief was that the line of questioning that the NFL put upon them made it, made them feel like the NFL was trying to trip them up. And their belief that, you know, they were subject to questioning where the NFL was primarily looking for weaknesses in their in their you know testimony as it were that they could exploit now i know it's not uncommon for investigators to have agendas uh, whether they're perceived whether they're actual they have a style and the way they do things sometimes a an investigator is simply trying to understand what happened or trying to lock in a story and then trying to challenge aspects of it to see if they can find chinks in the armor regardless of whether or not perceptions of uh, of Solis and, and Baxley are accurate, the mere fact that they believe they weren't respected during this process and having said so publicly, frankly, is not a good look for the NFL when you consider some of the issues that have they've, they've had on their plate in the last few years, right? I think these investigators have a moral responsibility in dealing with alleged victims of this misconduct. And I have to say it's alleged misconduct because I haven't seen proof or evidence yet. I get it. It doesn't look good. The optics don't look good, but that's not good enough. That's not a good enough standard in America. The witnesses really should be treated at all times with respect and dignity. And they exited this process believing that they were not. So inevitably, Roger Goodell will have to do something at some point. But for now, it looks like nothing. All right. The NFL hasn't given any timetable for their investigation to be complete. In fact, they recently released a statement. And you can decide for yourself if you think the NFL is in a hurry to make a decision here. Quote, the NFL's review of the serious allegations against Deshaun Watson remains ongoing and active, the league statement said. Quote, we are working cooperatively with the Houston Police Department and ensuring that the NFL's inquiry does not interfere with their investigation. As we continue to gather additional information and monitor law enforcement developments, we will make appropriate decision, decisions consistent with the collective bargaining agreement and the personal conduct policy. At this time, there are no restrictions on Watson's participation in club activities, end quote. Again, I repeat, my guess, Goodell is simply waiting for the legal system to act in some form or fashion. If no criminal charges are brought forth or civil cases are not settled or they're settled or dropped, which seems like a uh, there's no chance of that at this point, then the NFL can proceed to mete out their own justice. Conversely, if criminal charges result, remember, it's my uh, understanding a grand jury has been impaneled in Houston, and when you get to that point, they're considering criminal charges. Uh, and if you don't know what a grand jury is, a grand jury plays a very important role in the criminal process, okay? It's not one that involves finding guilt or punishment of a party. What happens is the prosecutor or a district attorney, attorney will work with the grand jury to decide whether or not to bring criminal charges or an indictment against a potential defendant. In this case, it would be Deshaun Watson. But it's usually reserved for serious felonies. There's the holdup, Right. This whole Watson ordeal, it's far more complex, far, you know, more far-reaching, you know, way more convoluted than Michael Vick, Ray Rice, Ezekiel Elliott, and I'm not minimizing the seriousness of any of those, 
but those were ostensibly, you know, one-off events that were cut and dried. This involves 22 defendants across state lines, and finding out exactly what happened and what level it rises to in the realm of jurisprudence still, apparently, after all this time, remains to be seen. Remember, like Willie Nelson and his own golf course, Roger Goodell, he's the chief superintendent here, he gets to decide par. Coming up, there's a quarterback who fell under the radar because he had injuries and some would say not a very good rookie year. But I'm going to dispel that notion and challenge the groupthink echo chamber because this young man, I think, is going to have a very good year and lead his team to the playoffs. I'll discuss next. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Keep it locked. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. We're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. We will take you up till 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern, talking a lot of football. Circle back to the NFL. Let's welcome in a gentleman, former National Football League defensive back, current analyst in the NFL. Say hello to Marcus Cromartie. Marcus, thanks for coming on Sunday night. Oh, no problem. I'm great to I'm watching some preseason football right now. Great to be here. Good to have you. Hey, before I get to this rookie crop of quarterbacks, do you have a thought on the whole Deshaun Watson saga? As a player, a former player in the league, give us the viewpoint and perspective through the prism of how players view this. I mean, I think players kind of just want to play football. I know for Deshaun himself, he's been doing the right thing in typically staying out of the media for anything else. 
because when you when you when he has everything going on already, the worst thing you can do is kind of you know pile on that with other off the field distractions. So he's kind of just been playing one wanting to play football, but there's just so much that we just don't know as a public that we can't even see like the end game to all this. Um, I know he wants to play football. I don't know if he wants to play football for the Houston Texans, but uh, I do know he wants to play football, and uh, I'm just look, looking forward to all this ending because I know the players in the locker room are all wondering who's going to be our quarterback this year. No, that's true. It's covered a lot of good ground there. And the bottom line is there's so much we don't know. Think about that statement. We just don't know. You can't go on opinion, innuendo, and third-party conversation. I haven't seen evidence yet. But on the outset, I would say it doesn't look good. All right, Marcus, let me ask you a question. You are a guy who was a DB. You know which uh, quarterbacks you had a hard time playing against or which ones did a great job of making the read progressions. Who in this rookie class has caught your eye? I always have to look at quarterbacks who can extend the play with their legs. And so you look at Trey Lance and what he can do. Um, you know, I always had trouble playing against quarterbacks like Russell Wilson because, um, you know, guys like Tyler Lockett can can run do six six-second routes and get open. And Russell's going to make sure he has the time to deliver that ball. So you see how Trey Lance can move throughout the pocket, how he can get outside the pocket, how he can make throw run. I think that's what the 49ers saw in him to make you know his stock shoot up so much. I'm really intrigued to see how he's going to play. And I see the same thing from the Jets young quarterback, uh, Zach Wilson, I believe. And so those two quarterbacks, I just love the way they move out of the pocket and within the pocket. You bring up a very good point, Marcus, about Russell Wilson. The years I covered the Lions, whenever they would come upon a quarterback in their game the following week that could keep a play with his legs open, they'd say you have to make two game plans. The defensive game plan for the scheme, for the offense they run, and then the game plan for when the play breaks down and he takes off and runs. It's almost like two game plans. You experienced some of that, I guess, against some of these running quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to play them because uh, we have this this word as a DB called plaster. And it's like, yes. you know, when a, when a receiver finishes route, when a, when a receiver finishes route, you plaster to them because it doesn't become – if you're in a cover for a zone and Wilson is scrambling for 10 seconds, you have a plaster at the state close to receiving the Man. So like how you just said, two game plans, and that's exactly what it was. You know, you started off cover four, but it turned to man-to-man. And that's what you get when you have to play those those quarterbacks who can extend the plays of their legs. And I'm watching Trey Lance now, and he just finds a way to make plays, you know, with his legs. And, and that's part from a young quarterback. So I'm very familiar with the term plaster. Obviously, you're, it's what it means. You're plastered to the receiver. But when you got a moving quarterback, that allows the receiver to sight adjust his route, which makes it a little bit more difficult for the DB. So let me ask you a question. Let's go back to Trey Lance. Uh, obviously, the idea is to get him on the field as soon as possible because it's clear that uh, Coach Shanahan is drooling over his mobility and uh, his, you know, his dynamic athleticism. What are your thoughts in terms of when you see him uh, as the Niners, you know, full-time starter? And do you think in the interim, Marcus, they're going to create interim packages for him to get on the field, even though that Jimmy G might remain the starter in the near term? Well, I think the most important thing for Trey Lance right now is getting reps. Um, I know he plays football, but I used to always listen to uh, former baseball manager Terry Francona, and he used to say that he don't think a baseball player is ready until he's seen 3,000 at-bats. Pitches. And that's what I kind of see in Trey Lance's situation. He hasn't played a lot of games in college. He hasn't had a lot of reps. 
So you just want to get him, and that, I mean, you want to get his repetition built up, and you're going to mostly, most likely do that through practice. And so I think he has to, it's going to be the Aaron Rodgers route, and he might have to sit for a year or maybe two. Um, and I don't think, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was the same quarterback who went to the Super Bowl, you know, two years, two years ago. So I don't think they're in a rush to tr- play Trey Lance. I think they want to get him some NFL experience, and, and, and that means like playing in practice, playing against NFL because he just didn't get that competition. I think your analogy is out. The baseball analogy is outstanding. Uh, I played minor league baseball. Until you get about 1,400 at-bats, you're not sure what you're recognizing. You're right. The more reps he gets, he's going to be able to be more comfortable to make his pre-snap reads and process when the real bullets uh, start to fly. Let's talk about some of the other quarterbacks, uh, Marcus. Justin Fields, what have you seen with him in his first two games? Well, Justin Fields, he's going to, he's going to have to be a gunslinger. I, I, to be honest with you, whenever I see a Bears quarterback, I kind of feel bad for him because that, that stadium, the wind is just swirling. True. So he's going to have to learn how to play in that stadium. And it's, it's different than any other quarterback has to worry about that was, you know, drafted a team like Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lansky. They play in typically good weather stadiums. And so he's going to, you know, learn how to win with just 180 yards passing or 220 yards passing. So he's going to have to just find ways to win. I think he'll do that. Um, I don't know if he pick one, but honestly, I think he will become the starter eventually throughout the season. I don't see Andy Dalton be, becoming a full-time starter for the entire season. So I think he needs to, he's going to have to rely on his legs a lot. He's going to, allow, he's going to have to be smarter and understanding, like, if you can't always get the home run ball, especially in that stadium in Chicago. Talking with Marcus Cromartie, former National Football League defensive back, current NFL analyst. Let's head to New England. Uh, I thought Cam looked good Thursday night. I thought he uh, maneuvered the pocket well and, and made some throws, timing and rhythm. And you got Mac Jones, who also looks pretty good. Break down that competition and what you see. I see two quarterbacks who want to play week one. I, I mean, it's Cam's job to lose, but... You know, you, you, you can't ignore what Mac Jones has been doing. He's, a lot of guys thought, okay, this is a guy who's played with NFL receivers throughout his whole college, you know, career. What is he going to be like when, you know, it's not as, as easy for him as it was in Alabama. And, he's, you know, he's, he's showing you everything he's showing you in college and more. And so I think Mac Jones has been impressive. Obviously, preseason is not regular season. Cam's a former MVP, so it should be his job to lose. I think there is a short leash. And, you know, I know Belichick, he loves experience. But, you know, if it's, if it's the same Cam as last year, they're going to probably move soon to Mac Jones. But I definitely think Cam Newton's job to lose. I expect him to be the starter week one. Honestly, I expect him to be the starter as long as the Patriots have a winning record. So if they if they dip down to, you know, two games under 500, I can see them, you know, maybe pulling them. But as long as they're winning, I don't see Cam Newton not being a starter for the New England Patriots. No, I'm in complete agreement with that assessment, and I believe he will start week one against Miami. You've got to go with experience. Uh, you know, getting a win against another NFL team is very difficult. You've got to go with that experience week one. Uh, finally, before I let you run, talk about Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Uh, how do you think that's going to work out? Because both him and Urban Meyer making the jump from the college ranks to the NFL. Well, honestly, I think it's going to be tough. And, and the reason why is, you know, notoriously when you get the number one pick, it's not just the quarterback you need. You need help at a lot of positions because clearly you was the worst team in the NFL. 
And the Jacksonville just needs to help in a lot of positions. And so they get, they have a new coach. Um, obviously, they have a new quarterback. And they just – winning is a priority. And you know, you know, things don't look good. A quarterback skill level is based on how many times you win. So I think it's going to be tough for them to win right away. It's going to be a process. I, I kind of see it as the whole – how John Gruden came in Oakland and, they, and they're giving them time because – it's not a quick fix. You know, Jacksonville is not a quick fix. I, I don't see them winning 10, 11 games this season. But as long <laughs> as they're better, right, as long as they're better than they was the year before, I think that would be a huge step, you know, in his for Trevor Lawrence. All right, good stuff tonight, Marcus. Appreciate you coming on. And uh, we'll talk to you again down the road. No, I appreciate you having me, man. I'm about to watch some football, man. Take care. Thanks so much. That is Marcus Cromarty, former National Football League defensive back, NFL analyst. He played at Wisconsin, ran out of time. I wanted to think what he thought about his Badgers this year. They think they're going to be pretty good, too. Coming up, the quarterback I'm going to defend, his nickname, well, it rhymes with Tua Tagovailoa. I'm going to share some things I bet you didn't know. Don't listen to the group Think Echo Chamber. This kid might be better than you think. But first... Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, three-time Pro Bowler LeVar Arrington, and I couldn't be more excited to announce a new podcast called Up On Game. What is Up On Game, you ask? Along with my fellow Pro Bowler, TJ Hushmanzada, and Super Bowl champion, yep, that's right, Plexico Burris. You can only name a show with that type of talent on it. Up On Game. We're going to be sharing our real-life experiences loaded with teachable moments. Listen to Up On Game with me, LeVar Arrington, TJ Hushmanzada, and Plexico Burris on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover is accepted at 99% of the places in the U.S. that take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report limitations apply. You know, we're in a fickle world. It's a fast food world. Instant gratification. People want things yesterday. Everything's microwaved. And they want that in their quarterbacks. You know, what if, let's take Justin Fields. What if... In the next three years, he's one of only six quarterbacks to have a winning record in the National Football League as a starter. Let's say his record's 25 and 13. He completes 64% of his passes. And let's say he throws 24, check that, 64 touchdowns against 37 interceptions. Would you say that was successful? Don't be so quick to say you would because it's exactly what Mitch Trubisky did the last three years. And the irony is not lost on me when Mitch Trubisky lined up against Justin Fields yesterday, and I wish Fields all the luck in the world, but it's a tough standard because we're in this microwave fast food world. And they've done the same thing, my man, to a tag of a load. I'm not big on groupthink echo chamber commentary. And this young man, who I like a lot, has fallen prey to some very inflammatory comments about his performance. What I like to do is set the record straight on how Tua... Tagovailoa has actually done when you analyze him with a little bit more subjectivity. So I did a little research. Now I want to compare how Tua's rookie season compares with other first-year quarterbacks since the year 2000 that have had multiple starts their rookie season. And there are about 26 that fall under this category. 
I didn't include Pat Mahomes, I didn't include Drew Brees, and I didn't include Tom Brady because they didn't start multiple games their rookie season. I'm talking about their rookie season. So they're not included in this analysis. But first, before I start, let me share with you the stats for Tua's you know, rookie season. He started nine games. He was 6-3 and three as a starter. He threw 11 touchdown passes against five interceptions. He had an 87.1 passer rating and threw for about 201 yards per game. And he's been getting destroyed. And remember, he had a terrible hip and ankle injury coming out of Alabama that I think took a full year to heal. So what if I told you that Josh Allen, who just got paid, he started 11 games his rookie season. His record was only 5-6. and six. His passer rating was 67.9. Tua's was 87. Josh Allen only threw for 181 yards a game. Tua threw for 201. Josh Allen, 10 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Now maybe you start to become a little bit more open-minded. How about Derek Carr? Derek Carr was 3-13 his rookie year, 76.6 passer rating, threw for about the same yards as, uh, uh, as, uh, as Tua did, 21 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. How about Alex Smith? Alex Smith's going to get Hall of Fame votes. He had seven starts his rookie season, 2-5 as a starter. 41.8 passer rating, only threw 420 yards a game, one touchdown, 11 interceptions. You get the picture. Believe it or not, Tua performed better than Eli Manning, Carson Wentz, Derek Carr, Alex Smith, Josh Allen, certainly Sam Darnold, who's only 4-9, and nine. even guys like Baker Mayfield, who was 6-7. and seven. Not everybody comes into this league and lights it up their first year. Jared Goff got to a Super Bowl. He was 0-7 in his first seven starts. His passer rating was 63.6. So maybe just pump the brakes for just a half a second on Tua. Because if you insert Tua, in summation, if you insert Tua among those 26 quarterbacks who started multiple games as rookies since the year 2000, he would rank 10th out of the 26th in passer rating, 18th in passing yards per game, and 8th best in one loss record. If you meld those three numbers together and blend them, he would be 12th out of 26. That's not bad. Give this kid a chance. I actually think he's going to have a very good season this year. I really like what Brian Flores is doing down in Miami. Let's take it one step further. How about, what if I told you that, and, it, and I just mentioned, the two, the two was better as a rookie than Josh Allen, who was an MVP candidate last season, or he'll be one this season. Now, what if I told you that he also had a, uh, a better record and a better performance as, as a rookie than three Hall of Famers who all debut, debuted either in the 80s or 90s? Forget just the year 2000. Forget this century. How about before the year 2000? What if I told you that Peyton Manning, he had a pretty good career, didn't he? 3-13 and 13 as a rookie, 26 touchdowns, 28 interceptions, a 78.2 passer rating. How about John Elway? Elway was only four and six as a starter. Seven touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 54.9 passer rating. And finally, Troy Aikman. He was 0-11. He threw nine touchdowns and 18 interceptions with a rating of 55. Added up, those three won seven Super Bowls. Tua had a better rookie season than all of them. All I'm saying is keep an open mind. Don't get caught up in the groupthink echo chamber. So the long and the short of it is, Sometimes how you look at something, if you look at it more objectively and subjectively, 
based on research and comparative analysis on other players who've also come into the National Football League, you might find you have a different opinion. So there's my official endorsement for Tua Tagovailoa. Let's see in December if I'm right or wrong. All I know is I think he's been unfairly judged. Hey, the NFL's at it again. They like to get their rules committee together and, you know, get into a room and, you know, have a few uh, daiquiris and, well, maybe that's not fair, and come up with new rules. Well, they came up with one this past week that they announced that I'm going to call into question because I think there's going to be date, a great difficulty in making it consistent and interpreting whether or not there's actually a penalty or not. I'm going to explain. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studio. Stick and stay. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Do you love Selena? Like, really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Take you up to 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. The NFL announced on Tuesday that as part of its stated commitment to, quote, protecting players from unnecessary risk while keeping the game fair, competitive, and exciting, it decided to implement a few new rules. And, well, then they also decided to reemphasize some others that already existed for what they say to be the better the betterment of the game. Now, to be fair, they talked about things like uh, disciplining players for hits targeting an opponent's head. They, uh, you know, reiterated some, some COVID-19 uh, guidelines and talked about relaxing of the rules of that as long as certain things are, are there's, there's compliance. But the other thing they talked about was making sure players don't tease each other too much. And they made that a point of emphasis. So what the NFL has decided to do, remember they claimed it to no fun league a while ago, and it looks like things were loosening up and maybe they're going back the other way. The NFL has said they're going to really enforce taunting rules this year, which could include automatic injection of a player who accrues two taunting penalties in a game. 
The player could also be fined or suspended or both, depending on the severity of the transgression. Now, as part of the, you know, taunting rule, <laughs> under the league's new plan, it means no more spiking or spinning the ball. You can't point the ball or a finger or verbally taunt somebody or stand in front of somebody and step over an opponent for too long in a way that provokes them. Also, in the verbiage, gestures that simulate handcuffs are considered taunting as outlined in the report. They're doing this because they saw an increase in actions last year that they believe, they being the NFL powers to be, that are not clearly within the spirit and intent of the rule, and therefore they don't represent what's best for the league to the opponents and others on the field. Here's where I have a concern. I have a problem because there is going to be an issue with interpretation and consistency. What is the subjective definition of taunting? All right. Are we talking about spontaneous excitement and celebration? Or are you talking about some planned event? You know, football is an emotional game. And guys have fun playing it. And sometimes their intentions are good. They're, you know, what might be perceived as taunting isn't necessarily taunting. Again, there are sometimes displays of personality, which could include gestures that have become trademarks for some players. Frankly, in many cases, they can be very entertaining. These guys are world-class athletes. But I'm going to come to the point that's really stuck in my craw. If you remember in the Super Bowl last year, Tampa Bay safety Antoine Winfield Jr., he thrust a peace sign into the face of Chiefs receiver Tyreek Hill, which mocked Hill's usual touchdown celebration. For that, Winfield was flagged for taunting in the Super Bowl and fined $7,800 which is half of what he could have been fined. He could have been fined 15-5. That's the maximum that can be levied against a player uh, if the league feels like the, the action is severe. But here's the thing. Winfield was responding to the very thing that Hill did against him back in Week 12 when he flashed the peace sign on the way to scoring a touchdown. In that game, in Week 12, Tyreek Hill was not flagged for flashing a peace sign at Antoine Winfield. But yet when Winfield did it in the Super Bowl, he was flagged. That's the inconsistency. That's the interpretation. And I'm concerned. I don't want to create problems that don't exist yet and try to solve them. I don't want to overreact. But what if your team is winning late in the game and something that you don't think is taunting is taunting, puts your opponent in field goal range, and you lose a game on a stupid penalty that's subject to interpretation? And you lose that game, and it's the one that might have put you in the wild card game. You're, gonna, you're not going to forget it. Ask the people in New Orleans three years ago. They never got over the pass interference penalty that wasn't called. Let's bring the crew in here because I'd like to get your guys' take on this for the simple reason. I understand the spirit of the law. I can even understand the letter of the law. I'm not sure the interpretation and the execution. Are they asking for trouble? Is this going to lead to the law of unintended 
consequences. Kevin figures to start with you. It definitely will, and this is always an issue when it comes to interpretative uh, penalties, and there's no Mm -hmm. hard-line rule with something like that, and so one official can see something one way and one another way. Uh, I I will say I don't know how large of an impact it will have because I don't know how often this happens, but to your point, it could be a big playoff game or a big divisional game where this does end up happening. It it might be just one of those where they are over-aggressive to start, trying to set the course, trying to set uh, set a course correct for what may happen for the season and just set a baseline for what they will and won't accept and hopefully by the time we get halfway through the season it won't be much of an issue Robert Guerra your thoughts I totally agree with uh, you and Kevin I think that um, this is going to be one of those things you see this a lot in the NBA especially where they'll say like in the preseason we're going to really call uh, the the defensive three second rule we're really going to harp on it and then as the season goes on they kind of tail it back a little bit I think and I hope that this is not going to be an issue when it comes to like a big playoff implication type game or even in the playoffs I think that they'll be smarter about it um I just I do think though that this is unnecessary I don't know if it's really jumped the shark with celebrations the last few years uh it just seems like the NFL is finding yet another reason to try to minimize individuality in their players right and uh you know hopefully it doesn't backfire but I think you bring up a really good point Rob even years ago before that you guys remember when baseball instituted that new balk rule and in the first couple of weeks of the season they were calling balks right and left and it was kind of ruining the game and the pace of the game and obviously movements that the pitchers gotten away with for years all of a sudden became illegal. Well, they kind of had a meeting of the minds, put their heads together, made a rock pile and they backed off and they stopped doing it. So to your point, maybe they're putting some bark into this. Maybe there won't be as much bite. Uh, Bobo, what are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I hate to piggyback on what they both said, but yeah, I'm going to have to. I'm just not a big fan of rules that limit somebody's emotion. Like you said, it's an emotional game. And if yes. you do something, if you pick off somebody and it's a chance for you to like take the lead in that game and I want to jump up and say, yeah, and then I get called for a penalty. Like, wait a minute, man, I'm, I just called an interception and my team has exactly. a chance to, to close this game out and you're going to penalize me for that? That's not cool. Like, I'm not I'm not a fan of limiting certain emotions, of celebrational emotions. Now, sometimes, yes, some uh, – Touchdown celebrations can be a little bit too long. But, I mean, just, hey, man, you got three seconds out there to do your, your rolling the ball and knocking your teammates down, bowling effect. Like, that's, <laughs> give them a time limit. But to, to punish them for, like, cheering at an interception or for you just sacked a quarterback, and I mean, you're not in his face, but you just go, yeah, flag, wait a minute, nope, no emotion. Like, I, that I'm not a fan of. And the game's happening fast. I don't know how a referee can discern spontaneous celebration and discern the difference between that and contrived emotion where there's intent. You can't, unless it's completely blatant. And if it is blatant, well, that's what the rule is for. You know, back in the day, there was some phenomenal touchdown celebrations. Billy White shoes Johnson. The Washington Redskins had this fun bunch. Some of the way these guys spiked the ball. This is an entertainment medium, and it's an emotional game played by growing men. You know, so I, I guess the bottom line is that I realize the intentions are good. It's going to come down to execution. Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Washington football team, he had kind of a measured response. He said, look, the whole concept and idea behind this is we don't want things to escalate. You make a great play, great. Be excited, but don't do it toward your opponent. That's all we're asking. You can celebrate. You can have a good time. 
Just don't taunt your opponent because we don't want the retaliation in this league. We don't want that because that brings bad luck to your team. Quite honestly, we don't need the young people who watch the game to see that either. We don't want the Pop Warner preview football kids mimicking NFL players and acting like that. Again, I think it comes down to interpretation. What's not up for interpretation is how bad Hard Knox has been this year, and I'm going to explain why. Mike McCarthy, uh-uh, not so much. I'm Bernie Fratto. Keep it right here. This is Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. The Fox Sports Sunday train rolls on. Two down, one to go. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Remember, Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover is accepted at 99% of the places in the U.S. that take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report limitations. Apply. By the way, in about 15, 20 minutes, we'll be joined by college football betting expert Brad Powers. You do not want to miss this. Week zero is upon us, and we'll be talking some college football in a big way. All right. Hard Knocks is a franchise that I've looked forward to every year, and uh, Rob G. and I were talking off air. Not all of them have been great, uh, but this one has started slow and faded. I can't believe how bad this edition of Fox or check that of hard knocks is part of it is because when I listen to Mike McCarthy talk, the man needs major work on his pregame speech. He sounds like Sid Caesar in the movie Grease, but only with F-bombs and his use of F-bombs, by the way, is incredibly ineffective. He just takes things too far. It looks like he's playing to the camera. He's he's inarticulate. Look, I get it. He's won a Super Bowl, spent many years with Green Bay. But I think now the deductive reasoning tells me he was along for the ride. Aaron Rodgers did all that, and a better coach would have won more than one Super Bowl. You know, in past years when I watched Hard Knocks, I got a real kick out of really intricate, nuanced conversations between position coaches and players. They were creative. They were entertaining. Uh, what are we getting this year? Ben DiNucci playing chess with Micah Parsons, that doesn't move the needle for me. This has been so bad, and yes, I'm going to watch it Tuesday. I'm an idiot, but I'm going to watch it. It's been so bad, it's literally sucking my will to live. They're 0-3. Yeah, McCarthy's really got those Cowboys humming, doesn't he? I know it doesn't matter if you win in the preseason. Trust me, I know that better than anybody. I covered the 0-16 Detroit Lions in 2008, my final year. They were 4-0 that year in the preseason. Rod Marinelli had high hopes. You all know what happened after that. Other, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? What I don't understand about this iteration of hard knocks is that it's just lacking anything remotely interesting to me. What have been the two biggest highlights? What? Coach John Fossil and his vasectomy? Why am I supposed to care about that? Am I supposed to be entertained by John Fossil having a – a, a meeting with his, you know, his, his his position players and talking about his vasectomy and they're all laughing. Who decided uh, that needed to not make the cutting room floor? Pun intended. How about, how about Jerry Jones? The other highlight in the first episode, he's on the phone forever. He's got that McGriddle to his right. He picks it up and then he salts it. And he, like, he didn't take off the top and salt the whole thing. He like salted it from the side. You know what? Maybe there should be more Jerry Jones. I am baffled on how 
disinterested I am in hard knocks, and it's having a great amount of difficulty holding my attention for the entire hour, even though it does. And I'm curious to see how this uh, Tuesday's edition is going to be, because maybe you'll see a little bit more creativity coming from this coaching staff or from Mike McCarthy following up their loss. I don't care if it's an exhibition game or not. This is not a team that's exactly displaying details, right? They're not exactly impressing me with their ability to dot their I's and cross their T's. Football's a precise game. you got to line up in the right spot. There's certain you know, things involving technique and leverage, and you can tell when you're looking at a well-oiled machine and you're not. All due respect to Ben DiNucci, not a major league quarterback. The only potential segment of this that I found mildly interesting is one of their position coaches, Aiden Durd. He's British. He grew up in London, loved football. I love the guy's accent. And his story is mildly interesting. And it's only mildly interesting is because I can only react to the part they told us. And so we're left with sort of this vacuous program. By the way, they compared him to Ted Lasso. They compared Aiden Durd to Ted Lasso. And he says, well, I've never seen Ted Lasso, but I'm familiar with it. Because he's kind of got that upbeat personality. He's always smiling. But those scenes where Mike McCarthy's in front of the team and saying, we got to get after it. you got to put it on these guys. It's all about winning. It's about physicality. F-bomb, F-bomb. Now, I've seen some people that could really drop F-bombs. My high school football coach, he was a master at F-bombs. You want to see an F-bomb parade? Rent the movie Harlem Nights with Richard Pryor. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. You never laugh so hard. But they're completely ineffective when Mike McCarthy uses them. And it's so, it just seems so transparent to me that he's basically playing to the cameras. He knows he's being observed. It doesn't sound natural that he'd even be like that. He he looks very uncomfortable. He looks very overmatched. And I don't think it's going to end well for the Cowboys this year. Having said that, look, I have a saying. Some people like olives. I'm Italian. I don't like olives. But I go to the grocery store, and I go down aisle seven, and there's rows and rows of olives. Somebody's buying them, just not me. So could I be wrong? As Dennis Miller said, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Let's check in with the crew. Kevin Figures, are you even watching uh, Hard Knocks? And if you are, react to what I said. Uh, I have been watching, and I agree with you 100%. This has uh, been extremely underwhelming uh, for me. There just aren't a lot of compelling storylines for this team, which is odd because you think there would be with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. I know the teams have uh, certain say, all the say over what airs and what doesn't, uh, but this is a trend I've noticed over the last couple of seasons with Hard Knocks. There just have not been stories, have not been interesting figures that have actually grabbed me. And to you, just like that, I, I, just like I, I hate myself to a certain degree because I continue to watch waiting for something to happen but quite honestly I'm not that optimistic uh, that we're really going to see anything entertaining coming out of this series which begs the question after a decade and a half of hard knocks has it jumped the shark Kevin do you think maybe they need to move on or create some other sort of programming that accomplishes this but with a different uh, style yeah they either need to move on or they need to revamp their rules I know that teams who have had a certain run of postseason success are exempt uh, teams that have had certain records over a certain amount of years, they're exempt. But I think the NFL at one point or at some point should maybe just start forcing teams to do it and look at it as who had the most compelling offseason, who's going to be an interesting cover. You know, Jacksonville doesn't have as wide of a reach of a fan base as the Dallas Cowboys, but with a rookie head coach who's never coached at the NFL level and a rookie quarterback who was the first overall pick and a superstar in college, I think that would at least garner some injury and have some built-in interest, built-in intrigue uh, from a storyline standpoint. 
And so if you're the NFL, maybe you look at just picking, handpicking a team and saying, you guys have to do it, and it's out of your hands. You bring up a good point, Kevin. There's a criterion which eliminates about 20 of the 30 teams, if not more, every single year. One of them also, no rookie coaches. And there were seven coaches or seven teams this year that have rookie head coaches. And I asked somebody, why are they exempt? And the answer was, well, they got bigger fish to fry. They've all got bigger fish to fry right. than doing a TV show. But that's just me. Rob G, hard knocks. Yes or no, your thoughts? Well, quickly, just to piggyback on what uh, uh, Kevin said, um, you know, there were only five teams that were eligible this past season to be on hard knocks. Uh, Cowboys, obviously, Cardinals, Giants, Panthers, and Broncos. Now, of those five teams, I would definitely go with the Cowboys as being the most compelling. I don't think anyone cares to see Teddy Bridgewater versus Drew Locke. I don't think anyone cares to see Sam Donald and his mono on TV. But um, as far as this specific season, I agree with you, it's not been good. However, where you and I were uh, discussing off the air was, is it the worst season ever? And so I kind of did a quick search on Google, went on Wikipedia, and two seasons immediately come to mind that could rival this one as the worst ever. One of them being last season, which was the Rams-Chargers joint effort, which is never a good idea. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. So if they had the fact that they had two teams of hard knocks was not a good sign. And we were in the middle of a pandemic. Everybody's on lockdown. And our entertainment is, let's watch how these guys deal with their lockdown. And they have to get tested every day. That's, a th- that's not fun to watch for anybody. We wanted to avoid and escape what we were dealing with and not watch it more often on TV. The other one was the 2017 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I personally don't recall anything from it. And probably for good reason, because according to Wikipedia, they have a breakdown every season. Some of the key storylines for the Buccaneers, all it says is on April 19th, 2017, the Bucs were selected. That's all it says. There's no mention of Jameis Winston, no mention of any other storyline that took place that season. Rob, was 2016 the Falcons? 2016 was the Rams. Which was the Falcons? 2015? The Falcons were 2014. 2014. That was a good one because their position coaches were funny and clever. Now, Mike Smith, the head coach, he had that Barney Rubble aspect to him just like Mike McCarthy did. But it's more than just about head coaches and quarterbacks. I remember one of the position coaches that year for the Falcons taking a first-round draft choice back in the room and dressing him down saying, son, you got a future in this league, but you're not good enough to be an a-hole. He said it out loud, like the full word. I said, that's really clever. And it was talked about on radio the following week. I think there's always potential for there to be scenarios within the framework of this programming. It's just this this staff is so bland and so overwhelmed by their job, they're not able to really deliver because they're not that talented in the first place. Continue, Rob. Well, yeah, I mean, one thing that uh, that you guys were talking about is whether or not we should just cancel it altogether. That's and what I was going to ask you next. I, I do agree that there needs to be some – uh, expansion with the candidates. You know, they, they should not limit it as strictly as they do right now. But I, I can't say that the show has jumped the shark because 2018 with the Browns and 2019 with the Raiders, I thought were fine. You know, I really love the they were. the Baker Mayfield, but, Hugh Jackson, yes. uh, Tara Taylor, you know, love triangle going on. And then the whole Antonio Brown burning his feet off with the Raiders, I thought was fascinating. Yes. It, it kind of sucked that we already knew what was happening before it aired. Because I think that kind of took away some of the uh, the the drama to it, but I still thought it was a good season. Um, you know, it's just it didn't work out this year, particularly because you mentioned Mike McCarthy and his staff is they're boring as heck. Yeah, good stuff for me. I, you know, I'll keep an open mind, but right now I'm sort of the uh, you know never mind the horses blind, just keep loading the cart. 
maybe the fans should vote on who gets to be on Hard Knocks because there is potential. Uh, listen, I saw Mac Brown in an interview the other day. Phenomenal. He's glib. He's smart. He's, he's, he imposes a lot of wisdom. There are guys like that. Bobby Bowden. Herb, look, on our network, well, FS1, College Football Game Day, Urban Meyer along with Brady Quinn and Reggie Bush. Urban Meyer, every time he opened his mouth, it was like an encyclopedia. I love listening to guys like that. Nobody on this Dallas staff is even remotely close to that. Uh, Bobo, Hard Knocks, your thoughts? Uh, my thought is, it's funny, I'm always last because, like, I can't come up with an original idea, but I can on this one. I have an original idea on this one. <laughs> the original idea is, as we discussed last week, I have not watched it. I did not care to watch it. I didn't want to watch it. And I'm kind of happy I didn't because I have yet to hear one positive thing about Hard Knocks this year. Even from fellow Cowboys fans, I just haven't heard anything to make me go, you know what? When I go home from work today, I'm going to stay up and watch it. I don't care how long it takes. I have it. Nothing about this has even drawn me into wanting to watch it, like, at all whatsoever. Okay, you may have brought up the best point of all of us, though, and I want to tell you why. What are the factors you considered that I'm just not going to watch it this year? It's, I mean, the stories that I, would want, that I wanted to hear about, example, Ezekiel Elliott, um, maybe Dax Rehab, I, they didn't talk about it. Like, it, it was nothing. And all I keep hearing about is how a non-energetic the coaching staff is. And I'm like, okay, well, why do I want to watch it? You know what? I'm just going to go watch The Wall. That would be more fun. You're not missing anything. And they did show Ezekiel Elliott trying to wrap a present, which was fine and no big deal. Uh, and Dak has talked about his injuries. But I think it's interesting. That leads me to believe, like, in past years, you were maybe bored by some of the previous episodes, too. Is that fair? Pretty fair. Yeah. All right. Look, I hope, actually, they don't cancel it. I'm just wondering that – since most of these themes and you know subject matters, and now we're going to go through this, will players get cut? And some teams are very persnickety about not wanting it on camera when they bring in a player to be cut. So there's only about three episodes left, I think, and it'll be interesting to see the storylines and how uh, – I'm going to watch Tuesday night because I want to see how, as a coaching staff, they react and communicate as they're 0-3, they're uncertain at quarterback. I do think Dak will be under center, but I also think there's going to be a situation he's just simply not going to be 100% this year, and that's a wide-open division. Jerry Jones isn't getting any younger. He wants to win another Super Bowl. For what it's worth, this is the third time – this is the third time Dallas has been on hard knocks. The previous two times, they did not make the playoffs. Coming up, we're six days from week zero on college football – I want to bring in one of the best college football analysts in the country. He's already made a ton of bets. We're going to talk about who's likely to win the national championship there, among other things, some early key matchups, and I'm going to run by him some what I consider to be sneaky teams that are under the radar that could find their way into the playoff, and he can tell me whether or not he thinks they have a chance. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studio. Stick and stay. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. We're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Take you up to 8 o'clock. Well, you'll be joined at that time by Chris Plankin, Arnie Spanier, 8 o'clock Pacific, 
11 p.m. Eastern. Remember, Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover accepted it 99% of the places in the U.S. that take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Let's welcome in a gentleman, one of the top college football analysts, experts in the country. Follow him at Brad Power 7, good friend of mine here in Las Vegas. Say hello to Brad Powers. Brad, thanks for making time on a Sunday night. Hey, Bernie, good to hear from you. Thanks for having me on. Let's dive right in, Brad. Uh, And uh, even though, let's go right to the elephant in the room, even though Alabama lost nine starters, four coaches on the offensive side of the football, and uh, no one's repeated in this iteration of college football playoffs, Alabama is still probably the safe pick, even though they're not my selection. What are your thoughts about the Alabama Crimson Tide this year repeating? Well, uh, I have similar thoughts. I, I think, without a shadow of a doubt, Alabama's got to start the season number one. So I have no issues with the AP poll, and Alabama's number one in my power ratings right now. Now, with that being said, I mean, the Crimson Tide uh, are probably, a, at least at the start of the season, at least they touched down worse than what they were at the end of the 2020 season. I thought last year's team was as good as we've ever seen in the history of college football when you look at who they played and who who they beat and by the margin. I mean, that's about as good as it gets. So uh, they won't be as good, at least at the start, as what they were at the end of last year because of all the re- uh, production that was lost, starting at quarterback and Mac Jones. But, I mean, let's be quite frank. I mean, hey, they're, they're bringing in one of the best recruiting classes in the history of college football. And on top of it, you still got the greatest coach in the history of college football. So for me, Bernie, Alabama starts number one. All right, let's kind of go in rapid-fire fashion here. I'm going to mention some teams that I think can win the championship, and you can give it kind of a yay or nay and give me your thoughts. I'm going to start with Oklahoma. They finally got a defense, return eight starters. I could, I consider them, you could make a case that they're a top-five defense. They return a great quarterback who's a Heisman Trophy candidate. And I would just say this, uh, if Oklahoma doesn't do it this year, uh, Brad, I don't know when they'll do it. Can the Oklahoma Sooners, by the way, they actually gave up, I believe, Brad, on defense, less yards per play last year than Alabama did. But be that as it may, they wouldn't have beaten Alabama on the field. Can Oklahoma do it? Yeah, I think they can. And I wouldn't have said that probably at any point in the last almost decade as far as Oklahoma legitimately being a national title contender. Certainly, they made major bowl games. They made the playoffs several times, but we've seen their defense let them down time and time again. And the last couple of times they made the playoff, uh, the Sooners haven't been competitive. I'm here to tell you now, if Oklahoma makes the college football playoff, I think they'll be more than competitive if they play in Alabama or Clemson or in Ohio State. And it starts with the defense, Bernie, the improvements that they've made. It's taken a while, but this is now you know year three under their defense coordinator, Alex Trinch. And it's the best Oklahoma defense in more than a decade. And because of that, the Sooners are a legitimate threat to win it all. Brad, we've got 95 teams with at least 17 starters back. We're going to have fans in the stands. I want a couple of, I want to run a couple of teams by I think could be surprise teams. How about Washington in the Pac-12? Best offensive line in college football, 328 pounds per man, 10 starters back. Can Washington sneak up and win the Pac-12? I think they can, and a lot of it has to do with the the, the schedule that Washington plays. Uh, I mean, when you when you look at a team that avoids Utah and USC from the Pac-12 South, that that's certainly advantageous for them. And then you look at a couple of their key games are at home in Pac-12 play against Oregon and Arizona State in the month of November. So I think they certainly have the most uh, fortuitous 
schedule in the Pac-12, that, and therefore that makes them a contender. I mean, we'll see what Washington has burning week two. Right. Michigan, that, that, that's a game that's a 50-50 toss-up, in my opinion. I was just about to ask you, that's one of two early season matchups, Brad. I'd like to get your take on Washington going to Michigan and Georgia-Clemson. Give me your take on both those. Yeah, first off, Washington-Michigan. I did bet Washington early number. I took the Huskies plus three there, uh, the, the full field goal being the key there, with three being one of the most key numbers in all of football. You know, I just think you know, I'm not. I think Michigan's much improved from last year, but that's not saying much considering how bad the Wolverines were. I just think Washington, when you look at they, what they have coming back, a little bit less question marks than what Michigan has. So I, I did bet Washington in that matchup. The other one, to me, Bernie, when you take a look at Georgia and Clemson, I mean, I know it's week one, but it's the only matchup all regular season where two teams in my top five of my power ratings play each other. So you can make a case, at least on paper right now. It's the best game that we're going to see in the entire regular season, and we're fortunate enough to see it right away in week one. So I think Clemson deserves to be the favorite there. They're sitting right around a three, three-and-a-half point favorite. I think that's a fair line. I did not bet that one at this point. Talking with Brad Powers, college football expert. Follow him on Twitter at BradPowers7. Brad, back to Alabama. One team I think that can trip them up in conference is Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, and they get them at home this year. Break down the Aggies for me. Yeah, I like the Aggies. I have, you know, d- despite the fact Texas A&M loses, a, you know, a four-year starting quarterback in Kellen Mond and four starters in their offensive line, I like Jimbo Fisher and the job he's done recruiting. I, I don't think they'll take that big of a step of a step back. Uh, and, and you look at, you know, what their overall outlook is on the season. Uh, I think Texas A&M easily would be five and zero when they play Alabama and host the Crimson Tide there on October the ninth. I have A&M a, a two-touchdown favorite in each of their first five games. So. I think that'll, that'll be, end up being one of the best matchups of the regular season. Right now, I think Alabama deserves to be about a touchdown favorite in that game, but no question about it, in the regular season, that will be Alabama's toughest game. Uh, road trip to Kyle Field, and look, I think Texas A&M is capable of pulling that upset off, but uh, Bernie, I'm not here to, uh, I'm not going to predict that and go on record and say that that, that will happen right. because, I mean, <laughs> Alabama still, to me, is head and shoulders above anybody else, in fact, in the entire SEC. Speaking of tripping teams up, Brad, Oklahoma will have to face Ohio State. I think, check that, Iowa State. Matt Campbell's got talent on both sides of the ball. Can they live up to the hype? Can Iowa State live up to the hype this year? Well, on paper, they certainly look like they can. I mean, I have Iowa State. That's right, not Ohio State, Iowa State, number six in a preseason power poll. And again, I'm not, this isn't an AP poll. This is who would be favored over who on a neutral field. Mm-hmm. And to have a team in a program like Iowa State, number six in a Vegas rating, uh, I mean, I've never had that program that high. And look, 19 returning starters are coming off their best seasons they've ever had. They won the Fiesta Bowl, beat Oklahoma once, and almost beat Oklahoma again in the Big 12 title game. Brock Purdy comes back for what seems like his seventh year as the starting quarterback. I love Matt Campbell. But the, the biggest question about Iowa State, Bernie, is this is a program now that you know has been the hunter. How do they handle all these exactly. preseason expectations? And now they're not sneaking up on anybody. Now you've got like, teams like Texas and Oklahoma State and TCU that are going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder when they play Iowa State. So that's my biggest concern for the Cyclones. Well put. Heavy is the head who wears the crown. Let's go to Ohio State. I think I'm hearing great things about C.J. Stroud. They're loaded two of the best receivers in the country. Do you expect them to mow through the Big Ten? I do. And, uh, you know, I bet C.J. Stroud to win the Heisman. So that, that tells you that I'm not really concerned about the Buckeyes losing 
Justin Fields at quarterback. And a lot of the reason I bet C.J. Stroud, not necessarily because I think he's going to be the, the best quarterback in the country, it's because of the surrounding talent around him, starting at that wide receiver wide receiver position, like you mentioned, Bernie. I think the best position group in all of college football, I'm not just talking wide receivers, I'm talking offensive line, defensive line, you name it, in the entire country, is that wide receiver room for the Buckeyes. That's the best unit in college football. And because of that, I think C.J. Stroud is going to have a lot of success. And obviously, Ohio State head and shoulders above anybody else in the Big Ten. Final question, Brad. Where do you have Cincinnati power rated? They've got a chance to make a statement when they visit Indiana early on in the year. And if they beat Tom Allen in Indiana early on in the year, they've got to have an outside chance to get to the Final Four. Well, I got a number 18. So, I mean, I, I clearly I'm a little bit lower than the AP poll. But, you know, keep in mind, I mean, I got them only a one-point underdog at Indiana in that game. So, uh, I mean, it's not like I'm way down on the Bearcats. And then, I mean, their entire season is going to come in that three-week period where they're at Indiana, they have a bye, and then they play at Notre Dame. The fact that Cincinnati's already number eight in the AP poll, and they beat at Indiana and win at Notre Dame, I think we're looking at, Bernie, the first legitimate group of five team that will have a shot at making the playoffs. Exactly. Brad, let's get you on again in early September because Ohio State will have locked horns against Oregon, Clemson in Georgia, and Alabama, Florida. We may have some shakeups earlier than we think remains to be seen. Brad, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on, Bernie. Take care. Brad Powers, following with Brad Power 7, one of the most respected handicappers, college football experts here in Las Vegas. Coming up, do you mess with perfection? Field of dreams? Well, the franchise is going to take a different turn here, and while I'm curious to see what might happen, I'm a little concerned that they don't leave well enough alone. But first, Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, three-time Pro Bowler LeVar Arrington, and I couldn't be more excited to announce a new podcast called Up On Game. What is Up On Game, you ask? Along with my fellow Pro Bowler, TJ Hushmanzada, and Super Bowl champion, yep, that's right, Plexico Burris. You can only name a show with that type of talent on it, Up On Game. We're going to be sharing our real-life experiences loaded with teachable moments. Listen to Up On Game with me, LeVar Arrington, TJ Hushmanzada, and Plexico Burris on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, If you saw last week the game in Dyersville, Iowa, uh, between the Yankees and White Sox, for the most part, I think it galvanized the nation for at least one night and reminded us of the power of the movie Field of Dreams. And on the heels of last week's successful game at the Field of Dreams in Iowa, two things happened. They've now scheduled a second game. It's planned for 2022 between the Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds. I think it's a good idea. Why not? But they did something else. Peacock announced it's going to develop the movie into a TV drama, uh, a TV drama series written by a gentleman named Mike Schur, and he's got quite a resume. He created The Good Life and Parks and Recreation, two very successful shows on NBC, so they've got good pedigree, but I'm not sure if I'm done with this. Field of Dreams was a, a standalone phenomenon that really, you know, managed to capture the magic in, in, in the most organic way of the subject matter, you know, 
baseball time, fathers and sons, uh, redemption, unresolved conflict. I don't think you try to parlay that whimsical feeling and try to recreate and simulate that iconic vibe by creating a weekly TV series, right? There's a reason there was no sequel to movies like E.T. or The Natural. Sometimes you just don't mess with perfection. On the other hand, you know, if you go to the well one too many times and you might regret it. However, I could be wrong. As I said earlier, I don't eat olives, but somebody's buying them because when I go to the grocery store, I see rows and rows and cans of olives. So I got let's let's bring in the crew on this. First of all, the game itself, Bobo. Will you watch the game next year? And then what do you think about this offshoot of a full-blown TV series following up on a movie that was made 32 years ago? Well, I watched the game next year. Yes, I did catch it. Like I said, I catch, caught a piece of this year, and I was amazed. It it was captivating. Will I watch the TV show? No. And I do think it's a bad idea simply because name the last great baseball TV show, like sitcom-wise or drama-wise. That's drama a great wise. point. There wasn't one. Like you think about the one that Fox did called Pitch, but had the, the female pitcher. It lasted one season, and they canceled it like five episodes in. Like it's, yeah, I, I don't think. The Bronx Zoo was that, pretty good. Do you remember that? But that was on HBO, I think. That yeah, was like, but that was a while ago. Like That it, was a while ago. A long yes. time ago. Like I'm, not, I'm talking about like recently. Like no. is baseball, I mean, it's a great sport. It's a worldwide sport, but is a TV show captivative enough to keep audiences locked in for a couple of seasons. Because I guess in TV and in television, you need at least four seasons to be considered successful. I agree with that. Well, they, they issued a statement that uh, what they're trying to do with the series is, quote, reimagine the mixture of family baseball, Iowa, and magic that made the movie so enduring and so beloved. But when you walked into the movie Field of Dreams, you didn't know what you're walking into. It kind of hits you in the face magically. You can't recreate that magic. You see what I'm saying, Bobo? 100%. You're, you're not going to recreate it. Like, it, it was something that was, at its time, had never been done before, and now you're trying to recreate something. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. There has been movies that have converted into great TV shows. I just don't think this is going to be one of them. Uh, Kevin Figures, your thoughts. Will you watch the baseball game? And just what are your general thoughts about the concept of a – TV series to try to recapture the magic of Field of Dreams. I'll definitely watch the game. I was riveted uh, by the one we had uh, this year. It was was spectacular. So I'm hoping they turn this into an annual event because it looked it looked like a great atmosphere and obviously a phenomenal finish. Uh, the actual TV show, no. I have zero interest. and I'm not a huge fan of all of these remakes that we've had over the last, I'd say, six or seven years, just in general, across genres when it comes to this. I understand that Peacock, I guess, is trying to ride the the wave of momentum, if you want to call it that, off of what happened mm -hmm. this past game. But to Bobo's point, generally speaking, especially from a TV series standpoint, unless it's like some sort of spoof, like Eastbound and Down or Brockmire or something. <laughs> <laughs> You're many, effing out. Yeah, exactly. Teddy Powers. How many, which are great shows, by the way. I love both of them. But how serious baseball television shows and series, I can't really think of one, to be honest with you, over for over the last 20 years, not to say over, over all of time. And I don't really think there's a giant clamoring for it now. Yeah, I don't know that there is. I think you leave well enough alone. You don't go to the well one too many times. Uh, Rob G., Will you watch the show, or maybe if there's, will you watch the show if there's taunting? <laughs> yeah, it'd make it a lot better. Um, <laughs> In all seriousness, will you watch the game and will you watch the show? Uh, I will watch the game. I don't think I'll be as excited as I was this year because the novelty will have obviously worn off. I think that 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 what's made it so cool, you know, this first time was I don't think I've ever seen that before. 
Um, as far as the TV show, I don't even think that Field of Dreams, the movie, was in, was that great. You know, I don't even think it's like one of the top three or four baseball movies ever. So I think that this is one of those situations, like what Kevin said, where these streaming services are so – there's so many of them now that they're all hit up for content. And, you know, some guy was in a room and said, hey, this was a big hit for Fox. Let's make it a TV show. Yeah, great idea. And then it'll be out for four episodes and it'll get canceled. Yeah, that's my fear, that – they tr- you know, they try to recapture that magic. I know I keep repeating myself. You used a really good word there, novelty. This was one hell of a novelty. But now, if you go back to the well a second time, you really run the risk of trying to follow something that was darn near perfection for a lot of people and do making it now a stain on your legacy. It's like the comedian who stands on the stage and tells one too many jokes. You know where I'm going with that. I would hate to see the legacy of the Field of Dreams franchise be stained by that by trying to, again, go to the well one too many times. All right, Brady versus Belichick. I'm going to settle the argument. I got receipts. I got stats. I got data. Who was more responsible for the wins and the Super Bowls the last two decades in New England? I'm going to tell you. I'm Bertie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Don't go away. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. We're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. And before I go any further, I want to thank my broadcast team for all their great work and teamwork tonight. There'll be Bobo on all the ones and twos, Robert Guerra, our technical producer, and, of course, Kevin Figures on the updates. Thanks so much, guys. Could not do this show without the support of this great team. Speaking of teams, Brady and Belichick were a team for two decades. I know a thing or two about Tom Brady because I was there at WTK in Ann Arbor when Tom Brady was coming up through the ranks and told Lloyd Carr he should have started, and Tom said, worry about yourself. One thing led to another. Lloyd told him that, actually. Brady is a winner, okay? And you all know that, but the debate... Since Brady headed to Tampa Bay and Belichick stayed in New England, obviously, was who really gets credit for this incredible amount of success and repeated success over the better part of two decades? Unreal. For the record, before I get into this Brady-Belichick comparison, I've never once said Tom Brady was the greatest football player in the history of the National Football League. I think Jim Brown was. Jim Brown was 6'2", 232, and he played in an era when Lyman weighed 240, and you were never going to catch him from behind. He had incredible athleticism, size, durability. He was incredibly powerful. He was fast. And he, by the way, he's probably the greatest lacrosse player in the history of lacrosse. Nine seasons in the NFL, never missed a game, averaged 100 yards a game. Jim Brown is the greatest football player. Now, Tom Brady might have the best resume, the most accomplished, but Jim, Jim, Jim Brown was the greatest football player, in my view. The greatest head coach in any sport, of any te- you know, any, in any era? Easy for me. Scotty Bowman. Scotty Bowman in the National Hockey League not only won nine Stanley Cups, he did it with three different teams in three different eras, and when I was there in Detroit, he won three different Stanley Cups with the Red Wings using three different goalies. This just doesn't happen. So those are your best, you know, I never once said Bill Belichick's the greatest head coach in history. Although, again, it's back to like arguing your favorite noodle in a plate of spaghetti. As Bill Russell said, don't argue eras, don't argue, you know, ghosts. 
it's it's not worth it. However, I think the Brady versus Belichick debate is very revealing. Who is who is more responsible for the success between the two? All right, well, let's look at some history. First of all, these are facts. You can have your personal feelings. These are objective truths. Tom Brady, or check that, Bill Belichick, before Brady, was 42-58 and 58 as a head coach. Now, you can say, well, yeah, but he was with the Cleveland Browns. Well, before Bill Belichick got to the Cleveland Browns, the Cleveland Browns had made the playoffs five of six years. And Bill Belichick had a losing record four or five seasons in Cleveland. By the way, one of his defensive coordinators back then was a guy named Nick Saban. Belichick was even only 5-13 and 13 in New England with Drew Bledsoe under center. And remember, Drew Bledsoe was the number one draft pick. From the start, from the minute Brady stepped in, he took over and he turned New England around. In the first game Tom Brady ever started, it was against the Indianapolis Colts, and New England was not great back then. They were a 10-point underdog, and Brady proceeded to lead the team to a 31-point victory as a 10-point underdog, and they were off and running. That first year, Brady proceeded to go 13-3 and the rest of the way, and they won Super Bowl 36. When Tom Brady started, his teams averaged 28 points per game. Any time that Tom Brady did not start for a Belichick coach team, that team averaged 19 points per game. And I know everybody wants to say, well, it was a system. And they go back to 2008 when Tom Brady tore his ACL and Matt Castle took over, and they still won 11 games. Everybody forgets the year before that team won 17 games. So they dropped 17 to 11, and the team the year before statistically had a defense in 07 that wasn't as good as Belichick's defense in 08. So that argument for me goes right out the window. Tom Brady won with New England six playoff games when the Patriots allowed 28 points in a game. No other quarterback has done that more than twice in the history of the National Football League. And by the way, all the while, Tom Brady took less money and was never a top 10 cap hit. At the end of the day, with Tom Brady under center, Bill Pelichek against the spread, 59.7%. Without Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, about 51%. Still very respectable. So what's the moral of the story? Tom Brady deserves more credit than Bill Belichick for winning all those Super Bowls. And then he goes to Tampa Bay, and I know people I respect that said Brady was washed. Tampa Bay would only win six games last year. Nobody was raving about Rob Gronkowski or Antonio Brown coming over then. They said those guys were bums. They were a clown show. And, New and in Tampa Bay, you know, they would be a six-win team. And all of a sudden now they're favorites to win the Super Bowl again this year behind Kansas City. You think that'd be happening without Tom Brady? The bottom line is I don't want anybody to perceive what I'm saying here is any kind of slight whatsoever against Bill Belichick, who I think is one of the greatest coaches in the history of any sport, an absolute mastermind. And if you don't believe me, just ask Bill Parcells. Remember, Bill Parcells won two Super Bowls. He was a pretty damn coach as well, pretty damn good coach as well. But Bill Parcells never won a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick by his, his side. So in addition to all the Super Bowls 
Belichick won in New England as a head coach. He's very much responsible as the defensive architect for uh, for the great New York Giants teams that were coached by Bill Parcells. And I also think Belichick pushed Brady. Belichick helped Brady. Belichick nurtured Tom Brady. When Tom Brady was at Michigan, he was kind of like this nerd, this amazing nerd with an incredible competitive streak and an ability to piss people off, including his coaches. He'd pick apart the first-team defense in practice, but he wasn't starting. He was behind guys like Brian Greasy, and he would complain about not playing, but he learned. And when he, you know, people have said he didn't do anything at Michigan. Not true. 20-5 and five as a starter. Beat Alabama. Won a great game at Penn State. Asked LeVar Arrington. I think he's still mad about it. He won a couple. Look, Tom Brady in his final game had a huge game against Alabama as well. The bottom line is this is not about besmirching Bill Belichick or it's not about putting Tom Brady on a pedestal. It's about settling an innocuous argument where people have really not yet come to the conclusion as to who deserve more credit. Well, I think I just laid it out for you. Bill Belichick was 42-58 and 58 without Brady, and the rest is history. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's edition of Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. But do me a favor, stick and stay, keep it locked right here, because up next... Chris Plank and Arnie Spanier. Keep it locked right here. This is Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.